really we have no we're we're speechless right now. We're first years. Yeah, we're first years too. Students in shock after two of their own are struck by a vehicle and killed near their campus. Plus, this really helps us to do lots of things at one time. The restaurant robots delivering food and drinks in BC as the hospitality sector remains desperate for staff. And there was no discussion about it. It was not a matter of maybe or this might happen. Vancouver Binners event organizers left scrambling after being bumped for a Netflix shoot. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with shock and grief at the UBC Point Grey campus this weekend. Two students are being mourned after the pedestrians were suddenly killed in an early morning crash. Grace Key has our top story. The aftermath reveals just how forceful the impact was that took the lives of two 18-year-old UBC students. The silver BMW SUV struck the male and female as they were walking on the sidewalk along Northwest Marine Drive near the dorms. One student was in his room when he saw the car speed by. All I remember is a blur going real fast and then something falling. You know, I couldn't tell what it was, but I heard a clank and then a, like a big boom like a thud. Then the first car that came up this way stopped, like screeched to a stop. And then the person came out and like slammed their door really loud and like screamed. University RCMP were called to the scene just before two o'clock Sunday morning. It's believed the driver veered off the side of the road, crashed into this boulder, knocked down a pole and finally came to a stop when he hit a parked car, also a silver BMW SUV. The two students were pronounced dead at the scene. Residents were just waking up to the news and an email from the university. They sent an email this morning letting yeah. us know like it's hard times and if you need to reach out, you can reach out and there's plenty of options because everyone's going through different things right now. It's really tragic. I mean, well, we were informed about the two students. I believe they were 18. They were freshmen. I mean, it's really, we have no, we're, we're speechless right now. We're first years. Yeah, we're first years yeah. too. Part of a statement from the university reads, it is difficult to comprehend and express the enormity of the loss of these two bright and promising young adults. On behalf of the university, I wish to extend our deepest and heartfelt condolences to their families, friends and loved ones. Our community mourns with you. People placed flowers at the crash site. No information is being released of the victims. The driver is a 21-year-old male from Vancouver. He was arrested at the scene, taken to hospital for minor injuries and released. He will appear in court at a later date. Police continue to investigate to determine if speed, alcohol or drugs are factors. Grace Key, Global News. And on Vancouver Island, police are looking for witnesses after a crash killed one man and sent his passenger to hospital late Friday night near Parksville. BC Highway Patrol says the crash happened around 10 p.m. on the Inland Island Highway after the car drove off the road at the Exit 51 off-ramp. The vehicle rolled over and landed on its roof. Both the 35-year-old man and woman in the vehicle are from Oceanside. Anyone with information or dash cam footage is asked to call police. And the homicide investigation team has been called in after a grisly discovery in Maple Ridge this weekend. First responders were called to a vehicle fire just before 1.30 Saturday morning at the intersection of Park Lane and Vernon Trail. 
Once the flames were put out, a body was found inside the burnt-out black pickup truck. IHIT says it's too early to tell if the homicide is connected to the Lower Mainland gang conflict. They're looking to speak with any witnesses or anyone with dash cam video, adding that the pickup would not have had a muffler. So it would have been very loud as it traveled through Maple Ridge and the surrounding areas. A coroner's inquest is set to begin tomorrow in Nelson into the police shooting death of Peter DeGroote nearly seven years ago. 45-year-old Peter DeGroote was shot by police on Thanksgiving Day in 2014 following a manhunt that sent the West Kootenai community of Slocan into lockdown. RCMP were initially called to investigate an alleged shoving incident at DeGroote's rural home. Police say he shot at them and ran into the woods, a claim his family vehemently denies. The case was reviewed by BC's Independent Investigations Office, which conducted a more than three-year probe. In 2018, the province's police watchdog cleared two RCMP officers of any wrongdoing in DeGroote's shooting death. The inquest was originally set to begin in May of 2020, but was postponed due to the pandemic. Well, most of us are used to the Hollywood North crews working throughout the South Coast and are grateful for the economic boost the industry brings. But some are wondering why the Vancouver Park Board is allowing a Netflix production starring a major Hollywood star to bump an annual binning event from its usual downtown location. Kamil Kermali reports. A small-time charitable event, big-footed by a big-budget blockbuster. We were, we were shocked and, and frustrated, frankly. The Binners Project, a local not-for-profit group, says its event planned for October 7th at Victory Square has been bumped from its location for a film production called The Mother, starring Jennifer Lopez. There was no discussion about it. It was not a matter of maybe or this might happen. It's This is happening. It's, it has happened. The event called the Coffee Cup Revolution. It allows binners, people who collect recyclable goods and turn them in for cash, to bring in coffee cups they've collected. This is our big day. Michael Leland is a longtime binner. He says this ends up being one of the most profitable days of the year. Especially now that it's gone up to 10 cents a cup, you know, you can make two, three hundred bucks on this. The event has now been relocated to Oppenheimer Park, but Leland says for a population that largely communicates through word of mouth, the change is going to cause some confusion and pose some hurdles. The difficulty is is going to be getting up to Oppenheimer, like you're going to have to take all your uh, coffee cups on the bus, and they, they take a bit of a dim view of that. The not-for-profit group says they were told only about two and a half weeks ago that Victory Square will be needed for a film shoot. That's after they had already dished out the $106 application fee and done much of the marketing. Now they expect to lose closer to $5,000. Redoing the posters, uh, getting our our binners out to do new postering around the community, um, as well as overtime costs for our core staff. The marginalized swept aside for movies stars, a concerning move for homeless advocates. So the park board has a real opportunity next year uh, to show that this isn't a trend, if this is just a one-off. Meanwhile, Vancouver Park Board said it would not be able to respond to Global News' request for an interview by our deadline Sunday evening, saying instead staff will respond sometime on Monday. Kamel Karamali, Global News. 
B.C. is temporarily extending a cap on the fees food delivery services can charge to restaurants. Under the order originally implemented last December, companies like Uber Eats, Skip the Dishes and DoorDash can't charge restaurants more than 15 percent of an order. The fee cap, which was set to expire on Tuesday, will stay in place until December 31st. Restaurants had complained that delivery apps were taking a commission of up to 30 percent of a customer's bill. The new order also extends a 5 percent cap of other fees companies can bill restaurants to prevent them from being used to avoid the 15 percent cap. Businesses were forced actually to change their models to go to more of a delivery because of the pandemic and uh, having the fees continuously increased on them was really, really challenging on their bottom line. And so this was a measure that we were forced to take to ensure that our businesses survive through this pandemic. Starting tomorrow, the B.C. vaccine card will be the only proof of vaccination accepted by certain businesses and events in our province. As of Saturday, more than 3.1 million British Columbians had received their B.C. vaccine passport, giving them the green light to access most restaurants, gyms, movie theaters and indoor events. You can take a screenshot of your vaccine card with its QR code and save it to your phone or print a hard copy to present to businesses. The transition period, which allowed people to present their paper immunization record for entry, ends today. The B.C. Restaurant Association says the province is enforcing the rules and businesses who don't comply will face fines that start at $2,300. We've got businesses that are saying, well, hang on now, the guy down the street's not doing it and people are harassing me for doing it. So we, it's in our best interest to get everybody on, on the same boat and the main thing here is that this is allowing our industry to stay open and keep our employees working and do our thing for, you know, beast the health of BC. So it's a very important that uh, that is done correctly. Northern Health has declared a COVID-19 outbreak at the University Hospital of Northern British Columbia in Prince George. Nine patients and one staff member at the hospital's primary care medical unit have tested positive. Access to the site is being restricted. Patient and staff movements are also being limited between care areas of the hospital. Vancouver police are asking for your help to find a missing 74-year-old man. Peter Morgan was last seen at his care home near West 41st Avenue and Oak Street. He left for a walk around 4.30 Saturday afternoon, but failed to return. Morgan has short brown hair with a slim build and stands 6 feet 2 inches tall. He was last seen wearing a puffy black winter coat, grey pants and a black toque. If you see Morgan, you are asked to stay with him and call 911. Solemn moments today at a memorial in Victoria for fallen police and peace officers. June 2nd, 1859. Constable Johnson Cochran, Victoria Police Department. February 29, 1864, Constable John Curry, Victoria Police Department. New recruits reading the names of 129 officers killed in the line of duty in this province. The B.C. Law Enforcement Memorial is held the last Sunday in September at the Bastion, a monument dedicated 17 years ago today on the legislature grounds. The lieutenant governor telling assembled officers and supporters that safety and security comes at a terrible price for some. It's a significant event for us. We have recently had uh, members die in the line of duty uh, in Abbotsford uh, of late. Uh, tragic 
events. Everyone, uh, everyone that's here today uh, is a police officer, a partner agency, a peace officer as well, and uh, everyone at the end of the day ultimately wants to get home safe to their families, and uh, when that doesn't happen, it's a tragic thing, and, and this is an important day for us to, to remember those people who have made that sacrifice. Fire crews in New Westminster responded last night after a motor home caught fire. Flames and smoke could be seen just south of Brunette Avenue. The fire department says just after 10.30 p.m., they were called to a parking lot near the Braid Skytrain station where they found an abandoned motor vehicle home fully engulfed in flames. They quickly put it out. It is now a complete write-off, and luckily no one was hurt. The cause of the fire is under investigation. Well, that weather warning issued for parts of the south coast is still with us tonight. So let's bring in meteorologist Yvonne mm -hmm. Shell for more on that. So, Yvonne, can we expect a blustery night ahead? Yeah, with a significant amount of rain, we're still tracking the system, and a rainfall warning remains in effect across a few spots for Metro Vancouver. This green, this is a swath of rain. We can see that here is Vancouver on the map. We'll continue to see waves of rain this evening and heavy at times leading in towards the morning hours for tomorrow, so back to work and school. Now, the rainfall amounts with up to 50 millimeters. This will be for the north. Shore Mountains, areas uh, into Vancouver, Burnaby, New West, Pitt Meadows, Coquitlam, as well as Maple Ridge, and for the eastern end of the island, that's from Nanus Bay all the way to Fanny Bay. With it, we have very windy conditions. The forecast showing us that we could see southeasterly winds sustained at 40, but gusts closer to 60 out of the airport to Wasson could get over 70 kilometers per hour. This evening, we'll be keeping a close eye. We've got lots of instability this evening with also the risk of thunderstorms. That'll taper in or move its way in towards the southern interior. I'll have that coming up very shortly. Nithu? All right. Thanks so much, Yvonne. And still ahead, the restaurant robots that might be serving your next meal amid a staffing shortage. And what might be causing a mass fish die-off in Vancouver's Lost Lagoon? As BC's hospitality industry continues to face staffing shortages, some restaurants are employing technology to complement their human team. Kristen Robinson has more on the robotic trend and why experts say it's not a long-term solution. It's not all playtime for Bella. Nanaimo's Driftwood restaurant putting its battery-powered assistant to work. Please choose the tray again. The lease-to-own robot boosting table service and helping staff at the large Chinese buffet with pickup and takeout orders. The robot is helping us to bring the food to the front door to the host. And we think it's kind of cute. In Victoria, Robbie the robot has been delivering food and doing some of the heavy lifting for Mantra Indian cuisine. This really helps us to do, you know, like lots of things at one time. It keeps a distance of two meters from you. The socially distanced cyborg supporting the family-owned and operated restaurant through a labor shortage. It's fun, it's interactive. It's just a little help in, in, in this huge problem that we're facing. They're expensive. I mean, they're not, they're, they're 20 to $30,000. BC's Restaurant Association says a few eateries have added a robot, but doesn't believe the staffing recharge will be widespread. It's always going to be about the human touch in our industry, in my opinion. Nothing can replace a human. Mantra is still looking to hire good people, and both restaurants say their automated assistants 
are the pickup they need during the pandemic. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Changes to new claims for employment insurance benefits are now in effect. The changes are intended to help people who saw their hours reduced due to the pandemic. Applicants will have to have work worked a minimum of 420 hours to qualify for the benefits. That's down from about 600 hours. The weekly floor on benefits will drop to $300 from $500. That's in order to match the value of Canada recovery benefit payments to workers who don't qualify for EI. Officials will also use regional unemployment rates to calculate the value and duration of benefits. And they'll require a medical certificate for anyone applying for EI sickness benefits. Staff with Vancouver's Park Board are still trying to determine what is causing a major fish kill at Lost Lagoon. More and more carp appear to be floating at the surface of Lost Lagoon in recent days. In a statement, the Park Board says the die-off may be triggered by last week's heavy rainstorm, but are awaiting test results to know for sure. Beyond this incident, they say the lagoon has long faced a number of challenges, including being isolated, its infill, and now only about a meter deep. They add it's considered an ecologically poor and low-functioning habitat. In order to restore the area, significant infrastructure, investment and time is needed. A tribe in Washington state has won a major step towards resuming whaling in West Coast waters. The Macaw tribe last legally hunted whales off the Olympic Peninsula in 1999. But their efforts since then have been tied up in legal battles with environmental groups and scientific reviews. Now, with the whale population rebounding to healthier levels, a Seattle judge has recommended that the tribe be allowed to resume the ancient practice. The decision would let the hunters kill up to 25 whales over 10 years with restrictions that could further limit the number of whales taken. The final decision will be determined by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. And coming up, stopping the strain on ICUs, how prominent Alberta doctors are calling for a firebreak lockdown and mandatory vaccines. Plus, the ousted Liberal candidate continuing as an independent, rejecting calls to resign. The detainments of Meng Wanzhou and the two Michaels have deeply damaged Canada's relationship with China. Their release sets the stage to possibly improve ties between the two nations. But as Eric Sorensen reports, the harm caused by the arrests will likely influence Canada's foreign policy with the Asian giant for years to come. So much has changed since Prime Minister Trudeau looked to deepen trade ties with China five years ago. The seizure of Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig paralyzed relations for almost three years. The end of this stalemate makes it possible to re-engage, but there will be pressure on Canada to establish a new and tougher foreign policy toward China. We're going to continue to challenge uh, China as we move forward. So the relationship is a complex one. But our eyes are wide open. China's relationship with the international community and, uh, and also the perception of the Canadian public um, will not go back to what it was before. Washington's nominee for ambassador to Canada was blunt that the Americans want to see greater clarity from Canada towards China. We are all waiting for Canada to release uh, its framework for its overall China policy and make sure that Canada's policies reflect its words um, in terms of the treatment of, of, uh, of China 
and that we do improve the collaboration and coordination between our two countries in taking on the existential threat that is China. Lynette Ong says China is confident and increasingly belligerent. The honors is now up to the Liberal government to come up with a coherent China policy as to how we have to deal with this rising power in the near future. One of the first signs of Canada's direction could come with a decision to ban or approve Huawei's 5G technology. Our primary consideration uh, is ensuring the security of our telecommunications system. And when we're ready to make that decision, we will make it. It's one of many decisions to be made in reshaping Canada's relationship with China after three years of deep and mutual mistrust. Eric Sorensen, Global News, Toronto. Two Alberta doctors have penned a letter to Alberta's new health minister outlining what they think needs to be done immediately to relieve the COVID-19 strain on the province's hospitals and ICUs. In the letter, Dr. James Talbot and Dr. Noel Gibney call on Minister Jason Copping and the Alberta Health Service to begin the transfer of Alberta ICU patients to ICUs in other provinces. The doctors also outlined the need for a fire break or minimum four weeks of closures and strong restrictions to stop the spread, along with mandatory vaccine passports for all non-essential services. Both doctors describe the current situation as an urgent crisis and say even if these measures were implemented tomorrow, it would take four weeks to see their effects on hospitals. Prospective jurors involved in an upcoming sexual assault trial in Calgary will be excused if they're not vaccinated against COVID-19. The judge has ruled that allowing unvaccinated people to serve on the jury could unfairly compromise the health of other jurors, court staff and anyone else connected with the trial. The judge also says an unvaccinated juror could be a distraction to other jurors by causing them to fear for their health and says a juror who developed symptoms could affect the entire proceedings. It has been nearly a week since the federal election and Kevin Wong, the Spadina Fort York candidate, ousted from the Liberal Party just days before the vote, says he will not be stepping down as the MP-elect. That's despite numerous calls for him to resign. Global's Brittany Rosen has more. Kevin Vuong took to Twitter to let people know he has made his decision. He said in part, I have decided to continue as an independent member of parliament for the riding of Spadina Fort York and will work hard to serve the community. Vuong was expelled by the Liberals after a sexual assault charge from 2019 that had been withdrawn had surfaced. I will continue to advocate and I will continue to organize the residents of Spadina Fort York to call on Mr. Vuong to resign because it is not appropriate for him to hold this position with sexual assault allegations. I hope he'll reflect on what I said about the importance of maintaining confidence of the public uh, because uh, it's hard to serve if you don't have their confidence. Some political scientists argue Wong has the right to sit in parliament, but whether his path to the House is ethical is another story. These kinds of questions are asked by the parties when they vet their candidates. He obviously did not respond truthfully. Reaction from residents in the riding pouring in via social media. One person says in part, I did not vote for an independent, sir, nor did I vote for you as an individual, but for your former party. Please do the right thing and resign. 
Another asking, does anyone know if there are any legal actions we can take to get this guy removed? According to experts, there are limited options, one being expulsion, a parliamentary power that hasn't been used since a 1947 Cold War spying case. Really, the bar is pretty low. You simply have, have not uh, had to have a criminal past or, or currently be, be a criminal to sit in the House of Commons. Some have suggested party names be removed from ballots, but according to DeClercy, there isn't much that can be done to prevent a situation like this from happening again. Unfortunately, the balloting system we have is actually pretty good at doing the job that it's supposed to do except for cases like this. Wong did not respond to our request for comment, but in addition to those who had been vocal about the MP elect for this area stepping down, a petition has also been started calling for him to resign. It has since gained more than 4,200 signatures. Brittany Rosen, Global News. Still ahead, a hazard for harm reduction. A life-saving substance that um, we need to make sure it doesn't get into short supply. The impact of a dwindling supply of naloxone and what can be done as widespread shortages continue. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Runners braving the rain during the Rainforest Trail Run and how it's helping Indigenous youth in BC. We'll have details on that in just a moment. But first, let's take a look at that forecast with meteorologist Yvonne Shell, who's back for a full look at the picture. And it was certainly coming down today, Yvonne. Yeah, and it is really going to continue to be heavy at times, especially for this evening. So a heads up paired with very windy conditions. Here's what it looked like earlier today. Everybody out there prepared with their umbrellas. Uh, we'll continue to see a similar weather picture for tomorrow. Gray conditions. And we actually have a bit of instability that's going to pick up through the afternoon tomorrow with even the risk of thunderstorms. So something to keep in mind as you're heading out to work or school in the morning hours. There's that swath of rain. Once again, the rainfall warning that remains in effect for the following areas in green. From Fanny Bay to Nanus Bay, 50 millimeters for the eastern edge of the island, House Sound, and Metro Vancouver. It's really along the North Shore Mountains that we'll see some of the rainfall amounts getting up to 50 kilometers per hour. Yes, that's our Wall Center Hotel Tower Cam showing us the view out there. It's a gray one. 14 is our current temperature, and that was the high for today. The winds are really going to start to pick up right now, the northeasterly, but we are going to start to see a shift to more of a southeasterly wind and that's going to be anywhere between 40 with gusts of up to 60 kilometers per hour. Overnight tonight it cools off once again. We'll see that rain continuing in towards the morning hours and then a heads up the concern for the afternoon tomorrow will be that risk of thunderstorms and temperatures tomorrow just getting up to 16 degrees. A look ahead on the future cast as we put this in towards the afternoon hours tomorrow. We've got the risk of thunderstorms all areas across the south coast. Southern interior and much of the central interior will be included within that. So the instability is there, and we are going to be tracking the potential for some lightning in the mix. Now, the northern half of the province will see that chance for some showers. Temperatures will be up to 12 degrees. I'm giggling because I have Barry just moving around the studio underneath one of my cameras and distracting me. But nonetheless, what we are seeing is the risk of thunderstorms, especially across the central interior. The southern half of the province will also be seeing that instability. Temperatures, though, however, still getting into the low 20s, and the winds are going to pick up tomorrow. We are going to see them ranging 
averaging between 30 and potentially up to 40 kilometers per hour. A chilly one for Whistler tomorrow will be sitting at 12 degrees and then much of the south coast. We are going to be seeing that instability with the risk of thunderstorms. It'll be a cool one. A range in temperatures between 14 near Victoria and then stretching into the Fraser Valley will be up to 17 degrees. So for this evening, still rain heavy at times. That takes us in towards the morning hours. We've got the risk of thunderstorms tonight, similar for the afternoon and early evening tomorrow. It's a pretty soggy forecast. We'll have on and off rainfall, likely be showers. Wednesday, I'm keeping a close eye, though. We are going to see the next weather maker push in. Very windy conditions towards the evening, rain and heavy at times, and leading in towards our Thursday as well. Nithu? All right. Thanks so much, Yvonne. We had a game of limbo happening there with Barry DeLay. He'll be in in a moment to tell us about the games he's doing highlights on in just a moment. But first, today's weather allowed the Rainforest Trail Run to live up to its name. The 5 or 10 kilometer walk or run started at Swan Guard Stadium in Burnaby with a trail run through Central Park, all to encourage physical activity, particularly among Indigenous communities. Proceeds from the race go towards bursaries and scholarships for Indigenous youth. It's ahead of the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation on Thursday. Participants were encouraged, as a result, to wear orange. The event is the idea of the Achilles International Track and Field Society, a nonprofit that founded the Vancouver Sun Run back in 1985. It's hoped this run will become just as popular. The rain uh, truly brought the Rainforest Trail Run to, to life. Um, we had a large number of participants, which was great. And, uh, and all in all, it was a very successful event. Congratulations to everybody who took part. Okay, we're all in frame. We're all in position here. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't say limbo. You actually were ducking under the cameras. I was moving around there, stealthily, but <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm the kind of guy who gets spotted easily. Yes. There you go. Like not like Yvonne and you. They're stealth, not me. Gliding around. We're just little ninjas in here. <laughs> yeah, you're exactly. All right, well, speaking of games, what do you have coming up to highlight? for? Well, if you can believe it, the Canucks are on the ice for their first preseason game in Spokane against the expansion Kraken, their first Every game, the game's not televised locally, but we have highlights. We have our way. We are ninjas <laughs> of the highlights. We're going to have uh, that coming up, and the Canucks are off to a pretty good start, so we'll tell you that as much. For the Seahawks, oh, a second straight uh, bloody Sunday for them as they mm. fall in Minnesota, so highlights of that as well. All right. Thanks so much, Barry. And still ahead, a search for solutions in the opioid crisis. I'm very, very sad. Naloxone saves lives. But it's in short supply. The changes B.C. families of overdose victims are calling for next. Some police chiefs on Vancouver Island express concerns about their dwindling supply of naloxone, which is effective in reversing the effects of opioids such as fentanyl. As Paul Johnson reports, there is growing concern that shortage may only spread as the U.S. struggles to cope with a lack of the life-saving overdose drug. I didn't know you could go to London Drugs and get these. Mine is expired too. Life-saving naloxone kits ready to go and in the hands of those who know how to use them. People, when they see it, they, they kind of call it a miracle because it looks like the person is deceased. Then they're administered naloxone and they come back to life. Tragically. Deb Bailey and Shalene Schuster have the equipment and expertise because of how the opioid epidemic has hit their families. Each of them has lost a child in recent years, but they've channeled their grief and energy into trying to save others through their work with Moms Stop the Harm. They can tell you firsthand how effective naloxone is. 
jointed overdose in Carisdale's McDonald's parking lot, and naloxone saved his life. In a deadly epidemic with so many factors seemingly beyond anyone's control, the drug naloxone has been one of few powerful and consistent weapons able to quickly knock opioids off of cell receptors and prevent death. You hear me? But just as the opioid epidemic surges once again, a recent manufacturing problem at Pfizer, who produced most of the low-cost naloxone used by frontline overdose prevention groups, means North America is potentially facing a deadly shortage of the drug. Well, it's not yet clear how this will affect B.C.'s most vulnerable people, here's what they're expecting in the U.S. I'm afraid that this shortage is going to lead to 12,000 to 18,000 additional overdose deaths this year. The Pfizer glitch is not related to the production of COVID vaccines and is expected to be corrected by early next year. But given that problems at just a single manufacturer could threaten so many lives is yet another sign of the precarious state of our struggle with opioid addiction. I'm, I'm very, very sad. Naloxone saves lives. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. And coming up, a dog doing things differently. I've had other dogs that were also very intelligent, but she really wants to work for me. The limitations that haven't prevented this pup from becoming a championship winner. Enjoy the change of seasons in Nanaimo this fall. Take part in the many layers of fun for the whole family. Go on a guided walking tour, enjoy whale watching, kayaking, mountain biking, and much more. Celebrate and support our healthcare stars at BGH and UBC Hospital Foundations. Night of a Thousand Stars Gala, presented by B2 Gold. On October 22nd, you're invited to a unique virtual event to raise vital funds to support the future of BC's healthcare system. For our BC, I'm Michael Newman. If you want to know, it's on the hub. If you want to show, it's on the hub. If you want to go, it's on the Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. All right, Barry's in for a full look at sports. And Barry, it's the matchup that I think a lot of people hoped would be the first one. Yeah, I think that was uh, done purposely that uh, <laughs> Vancouver and Seattle get to play each other first. Thanks, Nithu. Uh, fittingly, the first game ever played by the expansion Seattle Kraken comes against the Canucks, their natural geographical rival. It is just preseason, but plenty on the line for the players trying to make an impression on Travis Green. This game just facing off in Spokane, and we have got early highlights. Former Canuck Jared McCann, a member of the Kraken. They've got a stacked team over there, a lot of good veterans. Travis Green actually played with the Spokane Chiefs back in junior when his mullet was really long, but he had to like his young goalie, Arthur Silovs. The 20-year-old Latvian made a save there. Brad Hunt swept it off the goal line, then the turnover. It's Brandon Tanev, another good player, played for the Jets and uh, Pittsburgh. But Seelobs was there, 13 saves at last count late in the first period. It was all cracking for the most part, but just as a penalty ends, Jack Rathbone steps out of the box, jumps out of the box, and shows off that skill, firing at stick side. He's got all that offensive upside, and it was one nothing. And he looked very good running the power play in place of Quinn Hughes. And he sets up Brock Besser's one-timer. Got a bit of a lucky bounce here as it deflected off a Kraken player and in. But it's 2-0 Canucks late first, and we'll have all the highlights in postgame tonight at 11.
Well, with Elias Pettersson holding out and Brandon Sutter out with fatigue, there could be a couple of more spots available at forward as we move closer to the regular season. Canucks 2016 third-round pick Will Lockwood is being compared to Yannick Hansen. Great speed and work rate with decent scoring touch. But is Lockwood ready to make the jump to the big time? Will Lockwood hopes he's on the fast track to the NHL. It'll literally be his speed and tenacity that gets him a roster spot. Lockwood was a top player at Michigan where he scored some highlight reel goals. But as is often the case, players need to adapt if they're going to make it to the highest level of hockey. The main thing is just being a guy who brings it every day, um, brings that compete level. You know, I think that's what it'll take to, to help provide for a team like this. You know, he's a fast forward. Uh, he's grasping onto things. I thought he matured well last year. Uh, expectations. Just keep continuing to progress and become a better hockey player. And hopefully that, for his case and ours, puts him, puts him on the team. Because then he's ready and he, and he is a full-time NHLer. Lockwood did play two games with the Canucks at the end of last season, but it was the 24 he played with the Utica Comets in the AHL that helped keep his development in motion. You know, it just made that transition to pro hockey a lot easier. Um, you know, the coaching staff is great out there as far as, you know, being patient with me and, and you know, cut that learning curve. Lockwood's had a decent camp so far. His speed is noticeable, and he doesn't shy away from the physical contact for a smaller player. I'll catch a couple guys by surprise, um, you know, with my size, and you know, I think I play a, a little bit bigger than I am, so um, that's something that I can take advantage of on the ice as well. Well, the Seahawks were looking to bounce back today against the Vikings after collapsing in the second half last week at home to Tennessee. The Vikings had lost their first two, but they were close games, and Minnesota's a good team, and they showed that today as the Seahawks went down for a second straight week. Now, DK Metcalf promised less talk, more rock this week after he got distracted by... Uh, getting into it with the other uh, players in the opposition last week, and he was good early on. Touchdown pass, three catches on the opening drive, including the TD. Second quarter, now 10-7 Seahawks, and Chris Carson just explodes down the left side. It's a 30-yard touchdown scamper, and the Seahawks are looking good. Pete Carroll's pumped up, 17-7, got the running game going, but a key penalty kept the Viking drive alive, and that turned things around. Kirk Cousins over the middle to Adam Thielen for the touchdown, cut the Seahawks lead to 17-14, and then the Seattle defense just couldn't stop the Vikings offense. Cousins again, nice play call, finds Justin Jefferson, 21-17 Minnesota at the half. Second half, Vikings just had the ball a lot. Didn't score a touchdown, but had some long drives that ate up the clock and got some field goals. Kirk Cousins, 30 of 38, 323 and three touchdowns. Over 460 yards offense for Minnesota. Late fourth, Hawks down 13, going for it. Fourth and long, Wilson to the end zone, but knocked away by the defender. And like last week, the Seahawks fizzle in the second half, outscored 9-0. Minnesota 23 unanswered to win it 30-17 as the Seahawks drop to 1-2. and two. Bucks and Rams, two of the contenders in the NFC. What an addition Matthew Stafford has been for the Rams, bringing some excitement to that Ram offense. 
and he can do this very well. Going deep for Deshaun Jackson, who did nothing the first two games, as I had him in my fantasy pool, but today decides a 75-yard touchdown, 21-7 Rams, and then later in the third, Stafford to Cooper Cup stretches across the goal line for the touchdown as the Rams take down the defending champs 34-24, and the Rams are 3-0 atop the NFC West. Kyle Murray, or Kyler Murray and the Cardinals looking to go 3-0 as well at Jacksonville. But it was the Arizona defense that made the big play in this one. Trevor Lawrence off-balance throw picked off by Byron Murphy Jr. Takes it back for the touchdown. The pick six helps the Cards win 31-19. And they too go to 3-0 atop the NFC West. And what a finish in Detroit. Ravens kicker Justin Tucker. This is for a new NFL record from 66 yards out. Just bounces over. It's a game winner as well as the Ravens win at 19-17. The old record was 64 yards. Blue Jays and Twins. Toronto in desperate need of a win to give them a decent chance at making the playoffs. This helps. Danny Jansen. Three-run blast to left center. The bottom of the order coming through. You need to have that balance. We know what their big boys can do, but when they get shut down, nice to have the input. 3-0 later, George Springer, who homered yesterday to bust out of a long slump. Homers again. If he can heat up the last week, I like the Jays' chances. Canadian Jordan Romano comes in, strikes out the uh, to end the game, his 21st save. Jays win at 5-2. Six games to go. They'll be a game out of the final wild card spot heading into the final week, so their fate is in their hands. Ryder Cup Sunday, and like it has been all week, the USA dominated. Bryson DeChambeau drove the 360-yard par-4 first, and then sinks the eagle. Won his match against the always Ryder Cup-tough Sergio Garcia. And Europe's main man, John Rahm, ran into a buzzsaw. Scotty Scheffler won the first four holes, never looked back. He won that match. Americans took eight of the 12 points in singles. They win at 19-9, the biggest margin of victory since continental Europeans joined the Ryder Cup in 1979. Formula One, Russian Grand Prix, and it was another milestone day for the great Lewis Hamilton. Rain coming down hard late in the race. Hamilton decided to get rain tires a few laps back. Lando Norris, who was leading, decided not to, and that gamble cost him as Hamilton zips past him with two laps to go and he crosses the line for his 100th career F1 victory the most in history five of those wins have come in Russia Lance Stroll top Canadian he was 11th and Nick Latifi was 19th well it's a moment that just may be the difference between the Whitecaps making the playoffs or missing them last night in stoppage time Goalkeeper Max Crapeau made a dramatic penalty save to preserve a 1-0 victory and move the Whitecaps within three points of the last postseason spot. An uncomfortable stir in the crowd here at BC Play Stadium. Max Crapeau will need to be a superhero here. You're in the moment and, uh, you know, trying to read some cues, uh, then you, your body just goes and a beautiful moment happened. What an incredible moment. You know, the, the belief, the momentum that gives the team, the togetherness it brings. Um, those are the type of moments you, you just want to be part of when you join a club, when you, when you join a group, uh, you know, uh, a team and become close as a group. It doesn't happen often. 
penalty stop, especially to win the game. So exciting for the Whitecaps, and they're right back at it Wednesday against Houston. All right, thanks so much for that, Barry. And we'll be right back with the story of how a championship dog in B.C. is going against all odds to win big. This is B.C. with Jay Durant, brought to you in part by Fortis B.C., B.C.'s energy solutions provider. Well, as I'm sure we've all experienced, sometimes the best laid plans change for the right reasons. When the original owners of a pup failed to pick up the pooch, a Vancouver woman stepped in adopting the young dog. Since then, both have earned some impressive championships, despite Peekaboo having what some would think is a disadvantage. Here's Jay Durant with tonight's This is BC. This little dog is a very quick learner. She's been kicking tail at trick dog and rally obedience competitions. In front and center. Peekaboo is only two and the awards are piling up. She's already won seven titles. But what makes this success story so amazing is she can't see a thing. She was born with no eyes. I said she probably won't do anything. She'll probably just sit in the corner and be blind and follow my other dogs around, which is the wrongest I've ever been in my life. Alicia Chow is a groomer by trade, but she's been training her own dogs for the past 20 years. None of them have quite reached this level. She's a great team player. Um, I've had other dogs that were also very intelligent, but she really wants to work for me. And Peekaboo has learned through verbal cues and touch communication. And now she's got a bit of a following on her own Instagram account, full of what Chow describes as capable blind dog content. The sign reading trick has amazed a lot of people. PB should have a bright future in much higher levels of competition. Alicia doesn't know exactly how she'll get there. She's kind of making this up as she goes along. Yay! I have to... um blaze the trail to get there. (laughs) I just have to find the way to get there because it hasn't been done. But the results have been amazing so far. As it says on her Instagram account, you don't need eyes to have fun. Do well in school, lead the pack, work, win, and just be a dog. Just because her differences are more obvious doesn't mean that her life or her learning is inherently more difficult or uh, more limited. It just means that there's a different way to do it. Jay Durant, Global News. Adorable. If you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that people need to know about, you can email your ideas to thisisbc at globalnews.ca. All right, before we let you all go, we want to draw attention to somebody who hates having the attention on them. (laughs) A big congratulations to our amazing and longtime NewsHour producer, Annie Wong, who is about to celebrate 20 years with Global. Thank you for everything you do, Annie. Incredible. Congrats, Annie. You're the best. (laughs) Jordan Armstrong will be here at 11, everybody. (laughs) 